You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome in to the flagship podcast. We are live on the Horns 24-7 YouTube channel, Facebook, all the good stuff. I'm Chip Brown of Horns247.com, joined by the managing editor of Horns 24-7, Taylor Estes. Taylor, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Chip. How are you doing? I mean, it's a free-for-all football Friday. We're here with our uh, esteemed audience. Uh, I love it. We're talking football. We have we have the the kickoff time for Texas and Alabama. It's going to be a night game, Taylor. And uh, as if Texas needed, and actually, I think this is going to work out in in Texas's favor because um, Alabama's record at home under Nick Saban is 102 and eight. And three of those losses happened in his first year in 2007 when he went seven and six. So since 2008, Alabama is 98 and five at home. And they're 24 and three in night games there uh, in Tuscaloosa. And they've won 24 straight home games and 18 straight at night. So it looks like this monumental, daunting task to go into the snake pit in Tuscaloosa and take on Darth Vader, Nick Saban. But Taylor, if you're going to take on Alabama, it's probably a good time to, in, in Tuscaloosa, it's probably good when they've just lost 10 players to the NFL draft. They don't know who their quarterback is. And Nick Saban changed out both his offensive and defensive coordinators, and he didn't promote from his his uh, ex-fired coaches association on his staff. He he had to go outside. He hired Tommy Reese from Notre Dame and uh, Kevin Steele from the Miami Hurricanes. So I don't know. You're saying there's a chance. I mean, there's always a chance, right? And I will say. I would be more confident 
in Texas chances against Alabama going into this season compared to last season. And they, they proved us wrong, right? Like I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure all of our staff had predicted at least a two touchdown loss to Alabama comes out being only, you know, a one point game. And so, you know, the odds are against Texas, but I think this is a better Texas team and probably a worse Alabama team, at least at this point. Now I say that, and it's like, that's the, the uh, rat poison that, you know, Nick Saban doesn't want in his locker room. Sark probably doesn't want in his locker room either. But, you know, at this point, I think Texas has a, the maybe the better roster. Am I saying that? I can't believe I'm saying that, right? <laughs> like, it's just so wild to say it. But I like their chances better this year. But it's it's going to be ma- a major uphill battle. Yeah, I mean, Alabama lost four starters from its offensive line. Bryce Young is gone. Jameer Gibbs is gone. Will Anderson. Uh, William Anderson is gone. Henry Toa Toa, their middle linebacker. Brian Branch, their their stud uh, defensive back. I mean, it's it's. Let's put it this way: if you're going to catch Alabama in transition, you'd rather play them week two than in November. Yeah, absolutely. You- before Absolutely. They, before they figure it out. I mean, you got uh, you got Jalen Milrow, who was a Texas commit. And what what we saw of him last year for Alabama was him running a lot. Mm-hmm. And that it was not by design. It was because he would get happy feet. He was a young quarterback first year yeah. starter. And he was kind of one read and run and. And look, Alabama still, um, uh, you know, when, when I'm sorry, when he had to sub for Bryce Young, obviously Bryce Young, um, you know, was the primary guy. And Jalen Milrow can grow leaps and bounds through the offseason and be a completely different quarterback. I know Texas and Steve Sarkeesian are hoping Quinn Ewers is a completely different, better quarterback um, in year two than than what we saw throughout the regular season last year. So it, it you're just kind of throwing spitballs here because Alabama's record is so good at home under Nick Saban that, you know, but you can't pay attention to that. You got to pay attention to this other stuff that they just had 10 guys drafted that they're, they don't have the Heisman trophy winner at quarterback anymore. And I, I said, much like the LSU series that Texas had in 2019 and 2020, I said, Texas is going to have a better chance of beating LSU in Baton Rouge in 2020 than they will in 2019, because 2019 they had Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, you know, Justin Jefferson and Terrace Marshall and on and on. Yeah. And in 2020, we never got to see that game because it was canceled because of the COVID pandemic. And I said, going into the Alabama series, Texas is probably going to have a better chance to beat them in Tuscaloosa in 2023 than they will in 2022. And then they almost won in 2022. Heck, with a minute 29, Burt Auburn kicks the 49-yard field goal to put Texas up uh, 19-17 in, you know, a couple plays on that last drive go different. Texas wins that game. So that, I, I just... I have a funny feeling that if Texas is all it's cracked up to be, they're going to win this game. Yeah. And, and that's a big if though, right? I mean, there's been a lot 
Uh, I, I mean, I've done radio interviews throughout this entire off season and people keep asking me, is Texas back? And I've been very, so we, you and I are both on the same page and we're like, not until I see it. I need to see it on the field, play out on the field in more than one game for me to even maybe think of muttering that phrase, you, you know? And so um, there's there's definitely a big if, if they can pull it together. But I would say, Chip, if if you look at this roster from top to bottom, I saw a comment here, and I'm, I'm curious for your input on this. You look at this roster from top to bottom, it can probably go toe-to-toe with Alabama at nearly every single position. The one that's interesting is offensive line. I see this comment here from Nicholas uh, Tom. Sorry if I'm butchering your name. Tom Tamsma. Tamsma. Who is the better O-line next year, Alabama or Texas? That's the biggest key. I would never in my life, I don't think, or in my career, think that I would be wondering who's, Offensive line is better, one at Texas and a Nick Saban, one at Alabama, because Alabama has just been so elite and dominant in the the trenches. And Texas has been playing catch up for what seems to be almost two decades now, you know, and now they're finally in a position where I don't know the answer to that question. And that, that's the difference. And now the biggest thing's going to be on them putting it all together and actually living up to their talent, because we know how many times has Texas been an off-season champion, right? And then all of a sudden they lose games they're not supposed to. And it, it's just been like a, a very consistent cycle of ups and downs. And so can they put it together? Can Steve Sarkeesian? We're going to learn a lot about Steve Sarkeesian, I think, this year as a head coach because he's going on this, this um, you know, tour of Texas, basically. And he is exuding confidence in talking about Texas making a Big 12 title run. And as we've talked about on here before, we don't, Sark is not really a coach speak type of guy. He, I don't see him ever saying that if he truly didn't feel it. And so can they put it together? It's going to see, we're going to learn a lot about that, but I think it's going to come down to who's better in the trenches. And I can't believe that I'm sitting here saying like, I'm not sure it might be a, a coin toss. And, yeah, that, and that goes to show Texas or Sark and his staff are doing something right. And I like that Sark is exuding confidence and talking about winning a championship. You get what you demand. And you you talk to your players that way and say, okay, we're ready. Then they start to believe it and they now they have to be held accountable. They have to, but the culture does appear to be pretty strong. And so that's a big part of it. Yeah. I think in the past, Texas fans have tried to look past things, like mm-hmm. look past that maybe they didn't have a good enough offensive line, or look past the fact that the culture uh, may not be quite what it needs to be or look past some of the holes in the lineup to say, this is the year. Yeah. And, and so I like that he's talking about winning a championship because his quarterback room does appear to be elite. His offensive line has an elite left tackle and a, a group of young players who gained confidence last year, 10 starters back on offense I'll go. I'll keep going back to this, which is Steve Sarkeesian. How is he going to call the game in the second half mm-hmm. in a tight game on the road? Because you know Texas is only what they they won at K State to snap that horrible road record that it, it, that they had, and a bunch of those road losses involved losing double digit leads. I mean. No yeah, in the one second was half, yeah. in the second half and no one was losing games like Texas was losing games for right. the first couple of years. 
uh, on the road, you know, or giving away these leads, it, it like no one, it, mm. it, you, you couldn't find another program in the country that uh, Texas had lost five double digit leads in, you know, one and a half seasons, no other program in that time span was suffering that. So that's on Steve Sarkeesian to get that fixed and build that confidence and have a better game plan, make better adjustments, whatever was missing. I think the first year you can explain it away as well. He didn't have all his guys. There were some bad apples in there. They weren't, they didn't know how to win. They, they didn't believe they were going to win. Okay, fine. But then last year, at Texas Tech, at Oklahoma State, they're up 17 in each of those games. They lose, and and then they have the lead against K-State. K-State's coming back, and then thank mm-hmm. God for Keandre Coburn slapping that, you know, forcing that fumble by Adrian Martinez late that Jalen Ford jumped on, um, and that preserved that win. And the Baylor game, you know, I mean, Baylor was yeah. coming back, and, and they ran it. They ran the ball the way they should have against Oklahoma State. But anyway, that's the to me, that's the biggest question is yeah. Steve Sarkeesian. Okay, what is your personality in the second half of road games? What's going to happen at Alabama when you get up at 10 points, two mm-hmm. touchdowns in Tuscaloosa, and then you have to go in at halftime and, and convince your team that there's still another half to play? Um, that's what I want to see. That's what I want to see from this team. I want to see them close out games. I want to see them. Like TCU was the exact opposite last year. Right. TCU was always behind. Mm-hmm. And then were, found, yeah. a, found a way <laughs> to come back. They were down 24 to seven to Oklahoma State, came back one. They were mm-hmm. down 18 to K-State, came back one. You know, that that's what you want. You want to, I mean, you don't want to fall behind like that, but you want, you want to be a closer. Coffee's for closers, Taylor. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and, exactly. <laughs> you know, that's, that's what you want to see. And, and that's more than just that K-State game, you know, I want to yeah. see it on the regular. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's four quarters for a reason, right? It's not, it's not a one half game and then you go in the locker room and it's over. It's like, and that, that's been the biggest issue. I think with it's with Sark too, you know, because it, it, he, he took a lot of accountability. I think after those losses saying like, we couldn't extend drives on offense. Our defense was on the field for far too long and I always go back to what my father-in-law always says is the best defense is one that is not on the field because you, they can't, you know, they can't mess up. They can't give up the points. And that was, you know, the tale of two halves for Texas has been, you know, or last year, I think really good play on both sides of all in the first half. And then the second half, the offense can't stay on the field. The defense answered in a huge way, which did not happen in Sark's first year um, in 2021. Cause it was still, it was, right. it was the tale of two halves. And uh, if you go back and look at just the time of possession in between like the first half and second half, it's, it's horrendous. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. It's so lopsided. And so defense that falls was atrocious. On him. Yeah, and and it falls on Sark to call plays to keep his offense on the field and maybe give the defense a little bit of a breather instead of just a three and out because he, you know, throws it deep on first down and uh, wants to make that big play. Yeah, I mean, it's just he's got to he's got to look at himself, too, as much as he grades everybody else. And he does a really good job of assessing every aspect of the program. He does it with his coaches. He says he does it, starts it with himself. He's got to take a really hard look at himself and what he was doing as the play caller last year that led to some of those second half losses happening. Yeah. the One of the best things I heard last year was from Sonny Dykes talking about 
Garrett Riley, his offensive coordinator, who's now at Clemson. Mm -hmm. So remember that, folks. When you're talking about TCU and how good TCU is going to be after making it to the national championship game, don't forget that they didn't just lose Max Duggan, Quentin Johnston, you know, D winners and all these other guys. They lost Garrett Riley, who left yeah. TCU for Clemson. And what Sonny Dyke said was, I love how patient Garrett Riley was, that even though we were down in those games 24-7 against Oklahoma State, and Sonny was like, don't you think we need to throw it? And Garrett Riley was like, nope, we're good. Mm-hmm. We got Kendry Miller. We got Max Duggan. We're good. And he was right. Yeah. And there are times I've, I feel like Sark became impatient mm-hmm. and and went to the throw when he didn't need to go to the throw. And and we saw his pass first mentality uh, in the bowl game, in the Alamo bowl game against Washington. And it, it was not good. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I don't blame Quinn Ewers for that either. No. Quinn Ewers was a much better thrower of the football in that game. He had he had drops from his receivers. And, and they didn't run the ball. Um, you know, Keelan Robinson started, Jonathan Brooks only got eight touches in that game, but two of them were touchdowns. Um, mm-hmm. And don't sleep on Jonathan Brooks, uh, Taylor. And I, we're going to move into uh, Jonathan Brooks here in a second, because I did uh, write about him in the Insider this week. And this is a kid I think is chomping at the bit uh, for the opportunity and, I went back and talked to some of his coaches there at Hallettsville, a 3A school, smaller school. That town only has, you know, 2,800 people in it. But sometimes you find gold. Mm -hmm. And I think Jonathan Brooks, from what he's shown in his 11 games played in two seasons at Texas while waiting his turn behind Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson, he's only averaged 6.7 a carry. Every time, and I thought Steve Sarkeesian, and this is why I think Steve Sarkeesian is, is trying to tell us that Jonathan Brooks is his thousand yard back this year. You know, Sark's been saying, I've always had a thousand yard back mm-hmm. ever since I've been calling plays, even though it's not true. It's it's true that since Alabama and some of the years when yeah. he was at Washington, um, well, actually more more of the years at Washington than, than at USC, but he had guys like were 900 something yards at USC. So you, Jonathan Brooks, you know, Sark said it. Every time he goes into a game, he's performed. Everything we've asked him to do, he's done. He catches the football. He runs the football. He scored on that screen pass against Washington in the Alamo Bowls, a catch-and-run 34-yard touchdown. was beautiful. It cut uh, a 13-3 deficit to 13-10 in the third quarter. You thought, okay, okay, here we go. Um, but it, it didn't work out that way. I still think, and that was with Jonathan Brooks needing hernia surgery, yeah. Right after the game, you you broke that story. And and so, you know, Jonathan Brooks, this guy, he's a force. Like in talking to his high school coaches, he would come off the field, and say, OK, I'm seeing this. You know, they're they're moving guys here and there. Let's let's fake it to me and throw it over there. He wasn't a, he was not afraid. And then when there were times where he's like, hey, give me the ball. I can I can do this. I can just take over the game. This is a guy who ran for three hundred and five yards in the state championship game and scored nine touchdowns in one game and could have scored 10, but broke free and slid to keep the clock running. I mean, 
this guy's a prolific producer, Taylor, and he's mature. He's smart. He's a good team guy. I'm excited to see what this guy's about. I am too. And the thing to consider with Jonathan Brooks as well, like I know that the Alamo Bowl performance, everyone was wondering what Sark was doing. He had that hernia issue all season long, but he refused to get surgery in case he needed to be called upon. And that's the type of guy that he is. I mean, you go back to that Kansas game. I know some people will be like, okay, you're going to talk about a Kansas performance. Remember, Kansas was bowl eligible. <laughs> like, yeah. Kansas is a dangerous team in 2023, by I the way. I think so, too. I think so, too. But, like, he had just a – he just ran wild, you know, against um, – it was Kansas. Yeah, Kansas. Yeah, Kansas, right? he had yeah, like over a, 100 yards, 70-yard touchdown run. Yeah, I mean, and that was him as the third – or fourth back, you know, so this, I'm, I'm very intrigued by uh, Jonathan Brooks. I think that he, um, you know, him not being in the spring probably hasn't helped um, maybe calm some Texas fans concerns or uh, fears that the running game is not going to be existent anymore or something, because, you know, you lose guys like Roshan Johnson and B. John Robinson. Those are prolific talents and running backs and so it's always going to be hard to replace those type of guys but and fans didn't see Jonathan Brooks but don't forget about Jonathan Brooks I you and I have been saying that all along you know I think everyone expected CJ Baxter to kind of come in as a five-star and really just take over and that could still happen however I think it's doing a big disservice to Jonathan Brooks to declare those type of statements at this point until we can see him and what but what you're right what we have seen has been consistent playmaking ability, going back to high school. You know, I know we went to a small school, but if you go to a small school, you want to see those numbers. You want to see 300 yards rushing in a game. You want to see tons of touchdowns. You don't want to see, you know, 50 yards on 20 carries. Like that's, that's a, a concern when you're talking about, you know, small school, high school versus, um, you know, even bigger high school football, like 6A in Texas or something. So you know, he, he's been putting up monster numbers for a while, as you mentioned, you know, going to the state championship too. I'm, I'm very intrigued. I think that, I think he is going to be probably one of the surprise players of the season, assuming he is back to full health um, from that hernia surgery that he had two days after the Alamo bowl. Yeah. And his, his every, everyone around him and team sources have told me he's fully healthy. He's mm -hmm. good to go. He's, chomping at the bit. In fact, um, go check out the insider at horns 247com from this week, because um, this kid's been through a lot. His dad died his freshman year at Texas. Uh, that was a very difficult situation. Um, it was not anticipated. I mean, his dad had had a kidney transplant, um, but then um, seven years into that transplant, the kidney started to fail again and he was on dialysis and then all of a sudden you know a blood clot uh leads to a heart attack that kills his father and it, it was you know very sudden unexpected um it's just him and his brother older brother jordan and uh, their mother jennifer and they are as tight-knit as you can possibly be and um jonathan brooks is He's an old soul, so I'm I'm fascinated. I had one team source compare his vision to Jamal Charles, and that to me is the highest compliment you can give because, I mean, Jamal Charles is the NFL's all-time leader in yards per carry. 
he yeah. broke Jim Brown's record. Like to me, Jamal Charles is one of the greatest players ever at the University of Texas. So anytime you're getting compared uh, by a source I trust to Jamal Charles, I'm listening. So let's let's see it, obviously. But every every indication is Jonathan Brooks uh, is chomping at the bit for this opportunity and is ready. So. Yeah. Um, I remember when his dad, we were out at practice and we were like, where's Jonathan Brooks? And like Texas didn't tell us what had happened. Then we started going and and we didn't even report it because it was so sudden. It's like, oh my gosh, like that's horrific. Like we didn't really talk much about it for that reason because it was such a surprise. And you want, I want to see guys like that, you know, like when you go through adversity, um, especially like that, like I'm always going to root for those type of guys and hope that, you know, they can just prove everyone wrong and, um, you know, he's definitely one to watch for sure, I think. And Stan Drayton, um, who recruited Bijan Robinson, is the one who he was the first. Texas was the first to offer Jonathan Brooks. And then everybody else came in mm-hmm. Oklahoma, Texas A&M, LSU. And because of Texas being the first one to offer and and Jonathan Brooks relationship with Stan Drayton, he he would, he said, I'm going with Texas. They, they believed in me first. And, and then Stan Drayton leaves after Jonathan's freshman year. And they bring in Tashar choice who also lost his father at a young age and has formed a very deep connection with Jonathan Brooks. I mean, Jonathan's mother, Jennifer telling me that the Tashar choice texted her on mother's day to, to mm-hmm. wish her, a happy mother's day knowing that it's, it's been tough without, yeah. uh, without her husband the last, you know, year and a half. So, um, really, really touching, uh, situation. And like you said, Taylor, a guy you can root for because look, he's played in 11 games at Texas. Now it's mm-hmm. been garbage time. I get it, but 6.7, a carry it's, those are, those numbers are real. Now let's see yeah. how it translates when he's carrying it 20, 25 times. And and the things that Steve Sarkeesian has said himself out of his own mouth when asked about Jonathan Brooks is, you know, uh, how do I think the numbers he's put up so far are going to translate? He said, I think they're going to translate well. Mm-hmm. And he, he said, we're preparing him to, if he has to take on an increased load to be able to handle it. So I knowing how Sarkeesian operates and he likes to go with guys who've done it for him. He likes guys who are second year, third year in his offense. It just kind of screams Jonathan Brooks, unless Jaden blue, CJ Baxter just explode, you know, in their opportunities and, and just kind of blow everyone away. But yeah, um, I mean, it's a talented room regardless. It's Texas. There's talent there. Has it been proven? No. The most proven is Jonathan Brooks. And as you said, a lot of it was garbage time. But still, I mean, yeah, it's a talented room. And I think Tashard Choice was a fantastic hire from Steve Sir. I mean, Stan Drayton, let's be like, was one of the best running backs coach, coaches I've seen in, in covering Texas. I'll say that. Um, he just, next level. There's a reason why he is a head coach right now and went from a you know, position coach to a head coaching job, not like had to do the position coach to coordinator to all of that. Like he's the real deal. And for Tashar choice to come to Texas and, um, 
you know, continue what Stan has um, had like, you know, started there is it's big. And I, I believe in him and, and the ability, his ability to coach guys to be complete backs because, you know, we, we had talked to Sark about it prior to last season about what, you know, bringing in to char choice. How do you coach a guy like Bijan Robinson when he's so elite at pretty much everything and to focus. He's like, if you want to play in the NFL for a long time, you got to learn how to block better. And Bijan's blocking was just night and day better, I think. I mean, and he's not, you know, the bigger guy. Roshan Johnson probably is the more blocking running back. But Bijan, I think he he improved his game there, and that was Tashar's choice. So I, I trust in him to develop these guys, Chip. Yeah, no, I agree. I think Tashar's choice is a star and has a bright future. Uh, the longer he's at Texas, the better. And I think that Sark really trusts him. And that's that's been a question. Uh, you know, who does Sark listen to in the second half of those games when the lead is is dwindling and the offense is sputtering? I think Tashar Choice is is earning that kind of voice in that offensive coaching staff room. Kyle Flood, obviously, um, and Jeff Banks have been with Sark dating back to well. Alabama, but flood even back to the Atlanta Falcons. So, uh, but Tashar Choice is the guy. I mean, if they if they need to run the ball, Tashar Choice is the guy who needs to say, "Hey, coach, let's just keep running the rock here." Yeah. Um, and and Sark and, needs to listen. And Sark needs to listen. Mm-hmm. So, because I think um, that may have been a little bit of an issue last year from talking to sources. It it was he kind of silenced the noise. You know, it's a what was that movie? The Perfect Game where it's like, clear the mechanism. It's like Sark cleared the mechanism and didn't listen to his assistant coaches telling him, like, we got to do something different here. Um, that's got to, That's going to be something that is an unknown going into the season, too. Yeah, and Sark gets kind of a pained look on his face yeah. in the second half of games when he's like, calling plays. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like the the constant, the Maalox face. Because... <laughs> You're just like, oh no, it's the Maalox face. He's struggling to come up with plays. The nausea, um, heartburn, indigestion. <laughs> right. We don't want to see yeah. that. We don't want to see that. We don't want to see that face. Um, yeah. Oh, and Taylor, I forgot to mention of the five games Alabama has lost at home since 2008, four of them either had a Heisman Trophy winner or went on to win the national championship. And two of them had both. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, it was Auburn with Cam Newton, right? Cam and Newton then in 2010, Gene Chizik was the head coach. They won the yeah. national championship. So of course, Auburn fired Gene Chizik. <laughs> um, and then Joe Burrow and LSU yeah. in 2019, Johnny Manziel, Heisman yeah. Trophy winner, went in there and got it done in 2012. So uh, it should be fun. Yeah. Saying. It looks like a, it looks like Mount Everest, but maybe Maybe it's not Mount Everest this year because of all the turnover at Alabama. Uh, here's a comment from Raymond Smith. Brooks, left, middle, right. Yes, I agree. I agree with that. Um, and then this comes in from, uh, let's see here. Oh, is this also from Raymond Smith? Yes. Uh, late said B Cedric Benson type back. Maybe Brooks is, he is, he's a full 200 pounds. He's a long 
guy. And that's what makes his running style look so cool because he looks like he's gliding. Yeah. Um, and he's smooth, but he has great vision. I'll, I'll just say that. I, I probably need to see a little more to see if he's that much of a banger as said B said B was like Ricky and Earl. I mean, he, they weren't afraid of contact. Um, and then you have the, the darters like Jamal Charles, who kind of like Tony Dorsett never wanted to be hit, did a great job of avoiding the big hits. Uh, so I, I need to see a little more yeah. before I decide if, if Jonathan Brooks is, is like said B. Yeah. Um, and then this comes in thinking uh, that uh, I think this is from, oh, it was about uh, TCU. Oh, yeah, oh. David Williams saying TCU will have a significant fall off in 2023, and it's not from losing their offensive coordinator. Their team lost eight players to the NFL draft. All those players were significant to TCU's success. I agree. Yeah. I mean, D. Winters, uh, you know, Tom, Tomlin Hodges Tomlinson at corner, Ladanian's nephew. Uh, you know, Max Duggan, obviously, Ken. Kendra Miller, Quentin Johnson. Sorry, I'm having some uh, acid reflux. Kind of <laughs> giving me that Maalox face all of a sudden. That's terrible. Um, but I mean, Quentin Johnston. I I'm in a rookie dynasty draft. Bijan went number one, of course. I had the number two pick. I took Quentin Johnston. I think he's mm -hmm. going to end up being the next Julio Jones. So yeah, absolutely. TCU's going to have some you know serious uh, issues trying to replace all that talent, but. I'm just telling you, Garrett Riley knew how to position that talent, call the right plays, stay patient with the running game, losing Garrett Riley. And, and who did they replace him with? Kendall Bryles. How did TCU fans feel about that? Like it, yeah. the, the height of the TCU Baylor rivalry when Art Bryles was there and Gary Patterson was there and they're like, ah. <laughs> Kendall Bryles, the offensive coordinator, son of Art from Baylor is now the offensive coordinator at TCU. I know I can tell you what TCU fans have to say. Can he win? Yeah, exactly. If he wins, you love him. Yeah. If he loses, Sonny, what were you thinking? Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I think, okay, let me ask you this, Chip. If you're looking at the Big 12, which team do you think poses the biggest threat for Texas at this point? Well, I mean, I'm always, I'm always leery of K State, Chris Kleiman, and they're they're coming to Austin, so that helps. Mm -hmm. um, I'm always leery of Oklahoma State, but Texas doesn't have to play Oklahoma State. And going to Ames, Iowa, has been a bit of a daunting task for Texas. Um, and Texas Tech, I mean, look. Joey McGuire, Joey Juice, everybody's picking TCU to be the TCU of this year. I don't think, I don't think Texas Tech is like that, but we know that Joey McGuire will go for it on fourth down. We know he he's a gambling man and kind of like Mike Leach. Yeah. So I'm I'm looking at Texas Tech. Um, and OU is going to be better. And Dylan Gabriel was out in the Texas game last year, and they played a backup quarterback who was had no clue and was whizzing down his leg. So Dylan Gabriel's back. He should play in that game. It'll be a, a tighter game. Um, but 
I still think Texas is the better team. Yeah. What about the new newcomers? What do you think of the newcomer? BYU's always BYU's always been a problem for Texas. Yeah. Fortunately for Texas, that game's in Austin and Taysom Hill is like in his eighth year in the NFL. So um, but look. Houston doesn't scare me as much because I think that program is in a little bit of turmoil. Um, so I'm, I could be wrong, but I think, I think Houston's going to take a step back. Uh, Cincinnati, we got to see what Scott Satterfield from Louisville is all about now that Luke Fickle's at Wisconsin. So I'm not as, Concerned about Cincinnati, but Oklahoma has play to. Them? Yeah, I'd say they don't play them, right? No, they don't play them. Um, Texas got Houston and BYU of the newcomers and doesn't play Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State doesn't play any of the old Big 12 South. This is weird. Yeah, that is like weird. Oklahoma State doesn't play Texas, Texas Tech, or Baylor. Well, they play Oklahoma. They didn't. Yeah, not, yeah, yeah. Play yeah, Oklahoma, yeah. Okay. but I would say like, please tell. I didn't really look to and tell him like they better not have not yeah. played that. <laughs> no, they don't. Uh, or maybe they don't play any of the Texas schools. Okay. I think they don't play Texas Tech. They don't play Texas. They they don't play TCU. They don't play Baylor. And it's like, what is going on? They got all the newcomers. Yeah. So I don't know what the Big Twelve is doing, but anyway. Who do you think is the most feared team? I haven't done my deep dive yet, and I, yeah. I will soon. But that—that that was you... why I was curious for like at this point, because like it's it's a little bit different too. Whenever you have like you know transfers and all of that as well. Um, I mean, I'd say K State done... right now. Yeah, I haven't done. I'm I'm kind of there. I haven't done like the deep dive. I usually wait till Phil Steele <laughs> comes out with his magazine. Cause it's like the best way to prepare for a football season. Um, especially in the transfer portal era, as long as, you know, guys don't enter the portal after they send it to publication. But um, I don't know. I mean, I, I was going through today cause I saw that like the Vegas odds for win totals had like come out in Texas. They have them currently at nine and a half. Um, How about that. Yeah. And a part of me, I was like going through the schedule and I'm looking at it and I'm like, oh my gosh, would I take the over? Would I actually take the over this year with Texas at nine and a half? Because I I just, I feel like there's been a lot of change and up and down in the the original Big 12 and now adding new schools. I, I don't know. I mean, BYU, I think. I'm never going to count them out. They always seem to be very mature, probably because a lot of the players are like, you know, mid twenties, a lot of times there, because they do their missions trips, Texas tech, the game being at home, I think is good. I think Joey McGuire is going to build something special there. I've been saying that ever since they hired him, I was like, Oh my gosh, that's a fantastic hire. Um, Yeah. I think Kate. And didn't K-State. doesn't that the over under wins that you were looking at, doesn't it have nine and a half for OU? Uh, that's a good question. I'm not sure. I just looked at Texas, but I, I, I thought I saw that and I was like, wow. Okay. Yeah. That that's amazing. Yeah. That, that, that tells you that Vegas thinks Venables now that he's had a year to get that defense ingrained 
because it is a complex defense. You and I talked to our, our man, Gabe Eichard, here on the flagship podcast, and he said, look, Venable's defense is layered. It's complex. It takes time for guys to get comfortable with it. Very similar to Gary Patterson. Mm-hmm. Patterson was like Belichick. He would tweak his whole scheme from week to week to to take away the opponent's you know best weapons and you see that in the NFL because you got to play teams twice, but in college it's rare. Sometimes you just see coaches who are like, "This is what we do. We do it better than anyone else." And who cares? They know what's coming. We're gonna out execute them. We're gonna beat them. Yeah. Well, Venables is like Gary. He wants to tweak it. He's gonna make it you know, difficult. And they, they have a bunch of players back on defense. So I guess Vegas thinks that, uh, OU is going to make that jump. Yeah. Yeah. And you're right. It is. Yes. It is nine and a half. And then there's no one else like, no, like Houston, they had like five and a half, I think. Where'd they have K-State? Uh, let me pull it up. Um, K-State, their culture's in, you know, Chris Kleiman has, has built that culture they lost dudes now they lost you know they still have will howard they lost deuce vaughn they lost um you know felix on on yuduke yuzama julius brents was one of the best corners in the country at k-state he's like a 6-2 corner um he's gonna be a good player in the nfl they lost dudes but they they have like their whole offensive line back i think and yeah that that's enough for people to be like okay chris Kleiman's gonna be able to pound people yeah, for sure. Um, I can't find theirs. I'm sorry. I'm still scrolling. Well, here we'll get like, to that. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll get to that. We'll but that. yeah, like BYU five episode. and a half. Yeah, BYU five and a half is the uh, number. Houston yeah. was five. See, those programs are down right mm-hmm. now. So in Cincinnati, I mean, Cincinnati went to the playoff two years ago. Um, I I think they're down. So yeah. uh, we'll we'll see. And I think Iowa State will be better. So. I think so too. Um, and that the road game being in November in Ames, I mean, if you've ever been to Ames, Iowa in November, you know what we're talking about. It's a, a cold one, especially if it's a night game. We'll say remember, that. Remember Oklahoma state undefeated in 2011 would have gone to the national championship game, but they lost to Iowa state late in the year on a Thursday night in Ames. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Kansas state is eight. It's the current. Uh, okay. So, render. and do you have TCU right there handy? TCU. Let's see. No, but I'll, I'll find Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll do a whole episode on that. But yeah. that tells me it's oh, seven and a half. Seven and a half. I did. Okay. See, K State is the team that Vegas thinks poses mm-hmm. the biggest threat to, to Texas and Oklahoma. Oklahoma, who was, what were they, six and seven last year? I think so. I mean, that yeah. was that was just it, that was Oklahoma fans getting a little taste of what Texas fans have been living through for yeah. the last decade. So it's like, huh? Yeah, we suck again. <laughs> we suck. What happened? <laughs> we hate Lincoln Riley, but damn, he was good. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I hate him. I'm never gonna utter his name, but damn, he was good. I remember like some of the Oklahoma beat writers in the press box of the Cotton Bowl this year. Remember, we were going down the elevator. We were waiting for the elevator of the Cotton Bowl, and there was a couple of OU beat writers there, and they're like, "Nah, 
Now we know what you guys have felt like for the last oh, yeah. number of years. I'm like, oh yeah, your message boards are doing really well. Yeah, no. <laughs> like, like Texas, it's oh. going to keep adding fuel to that fire too. Just be ready for a 2 a.m. Oh. work day. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Now you know what our message boards have been like mm -hmm. for the last uh, decade. Yeah. Oh yeah. I didn't envy them at all. I'll say that. No. And Texas <laughs> fans who were at that game last year, the 49, nothing Red River shootout, man, you better bottle that thing up, frame it, put it on a wall so you can look at it every day because that was the worst beating OU ever had in the in the uh, Red River shootout, and you were there. Yeah, exactly. So good on you. Yeah. Hey, and it was a bowl-eligible team too, so it wasn't like right. a two-win Oklahoma team or something That's like right. that, like a devastating one. Yeah, so. They got smoked by Florida State in the bowl game. Yeah. Um. Okay. Well, some of this we can actually we can actually save. Yeah. Um, so real quick, basketball. Um, Tyrese Hunter has announced that he's coming back. And look, while this was expected, this is huge. Don't don't confuse the two. Um, with Tyrese Hunter coming back, this is a kid who's taken Iowa State to the Sweet 16, was part of Texas's elite eight run last year and came up big. Don't forget that this is a kid who, even though he had some struggles in the regular season, was the one who guarded Dewan Harris of Kansas in the big 12 tournament final and held him to nothing until garbage time, until Texas was up 18 with two minutes left uh, because Dewan Harris, when he had scored six points, Taylor, last year as the point guard at Kansas, they were 21 and 0. Rodney Terry knew that and had Tyrese Hunter face guard him the whole time. And even though Harris ended up with six points and Texas handed him their first loss in that equation, um, he didn't, he scored those two buckets when they were down 18. So um, yeah, Tyrese Hunter coming back is huge. Now you, you've got your starting lineup. You've got Tyrese Hunter, you got Max Acemas and make sure you're paying attention to the uh, flagship podcast interview coming out next week. Uh, and then, <laughs> And then you're getting the whack freshman of the year and Kendall Weaver from UT Arlington, the six foot three kid with the six, seven wingspan who can guard anybody uh, and score, you know, heck as a freshman, he almost averaged 10 points. Um, and so then you, you have your front court already with Dylan DeZue and, and Caden Shedrick, the six eleven transfer from Virginia. So Ronnie Terry, I know there was panic in the streets when, Arterio Morris bolted and Ron Holland and AJ Johnson were like, Oh, we're going to go do something else. Um, and, you know, and then, you know, Dylan Mitchell's told Mike finger of the San Antonio express news. He's leaning towards staying in the draft because he's had such an amazing uh, NBA draft combine. He, he yeah. made 16 of 25 threes at the NBA draft combine. He did not attempt a three for Texas all year. And I get it. Sometimes you're, you're penciled into a role. Um, Texas doesn't have a ton of size down low. They needed Dylan DeZue and Dylan Mitchell down low. Um, and so Dylan wasn't out on the perimeter much, kind of like Dylan DeZue. Then Dylan DeZue, uh, they needed his offense when Timmy Allen got hurt in the Big 12 tournament. Dylan DeZue showed you, oh, he can hit threes. He can do it all. Yeah. So I get it. I get it. Um, you know, Dylan Mitchell may decide, you know what, I'm going to get developed for the game I need in the NBA in the NBA, 
Right. Um, which is understandable. So now Ronnie Terry just needs to add depth because he's got his starting lineup. Now he's got to add depth because remember, Sir Jabari Rice was the sixth man of the year mm-hmm. last year. So you got to have that sixth, seventh, eighth guy. And Brock Cunningham's one of those for sure. And we'll see what Alex Anamekwa is all about. Um, he basically redshirted this year. So, uh, but that's huge news. And yeah. Taylor, go ahead. I would say, I mean, no offense to Brock Cunningham, but Serge Jabari Rice was the unsung hero for the for team sure. last year. Like, like, I feel like it's almost unfair to put Brock Cunningham even in that same type of category. Not a knock on Bryce, or excuse me, on Brock Cunningham, just because of how how clutch Serge Jabari Rice was oh, for Texas. He's an all-timer. Yeah, he he's, is. he's like one of my three favorite players ever at Texas, you know, um, With TJ the best Ford. name too, sir. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I remember one okay. time you called him Jabari Rice on here. I was like, uh, put some respect on his name. It's Sir yeah. Jabari Rice. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, sir. <laughs> Sorry. Didn't mean that. Uh, <laughs> all right. So Ronnie Terry doing work. Um, and then Texas baseball, Taylor. So right now we're recording. Um, like a few hours from game two of the Texas West Virginia series. And last night go set the scene going into the weekend, Texas had to sweep West Virginia and needed at least one win from Oklahoma against Oklahoma state to get into a tie for the big 12 and, and Texas would have the tiebreakers. If you can believe that there's a, there's head to head. And then the, one of the tiebreakers is who won the first game of the series well, Texas won the first game of the series against Oklahoma State, against West Virginia. Like, Texas has done well in the first game of the series, so they suddenly have this tiebreaker, um, and they would they would own it even if there was a four-way tie um, because that's how jammed up the standings were. Going into the series, Texas could have finished anywhere from number one to number seven. Now, after the first game of these weekend series, Texas can only be one through four. So they would either be the number one seed or the number four seed in the, in the big 12 tournament, depending on how these remaining games turn out. And here's, we've been talking all year, Taylor, about the pitching. Oh, what's going on with the pitching with Texas? They don't have a number two or number three. They don't know what they're doing beyond Lucas Gordon. Well, here comes LeBaron Johnson, who's had probably the two best starts of the year. No offense to Lucas Gordon, but he did have 12 strikeouts against number one LSU. Yeah, um, and it looks like he's got scoreless seven innings to, or six innings, right? Yeah, yeah. Like when he's good, he's devastating. Yeah, and that's what you're hoping going into tonight. Can we get devastating LBJ? And if they get devastating LBJ, and he can go deep into this game, I mean, Lucas Gordon threw seven innings. It's all or nothing, Taylor. I mean, leave him in there if he's yeah. still throwing gas. Leave him in there, and then how about this, Tanner Witt? would start game three and Tanner Witt actually looked a lot better in his last outing. He went three innings. He gave up a home run, but he was in command and started looking like, okay, maybe he can help here mm-hmm. at the end. So we shall see. Yeah. Yeah. Lucas Gordon, seven innings pitched four hits, only no earned runs, eight strikeouts in that 12 to two win over West one Virginia. Walk. 
yeah, one walk. He was in total command. It was, mm-hmm. that was a thing of beauty. So, and that that's good because he struggled. He struggled a, a couple of times out here recently. So yeah. David Pierce said before the year, we want to be good early and great late. Well, here's your chance. Amazing. If, yeah. uh, if they could pull this off against all odds. You ready for some love it or leave it? I am. Before we get to love it or leave it, we're going to take a really quick break, but stay tuned. We have more football talk coming up. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. You want a football? Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. We spend 45 minutes of the show talking about football and then five minutes baseball and basketball. <laughs> so, yeah. Back to football. Starting with football here. My first love it or leave it chip is love it or leave it. Texas will become the sixth team to win at Alabama since 2008 when the Longhorns and Crimson Tide kick off at 6 p.m. Central on September 9th in Tuscaloosa. I'm going to stick to my guns. I said – Going into 2022, Texas' best chance to beat Alabama would be in Tuscaloosa in 2023. I know Nick Saban has replaced coordinator after coordinator. I mean, it's ridiculous, people, how many coordinators he's replaced, especially on the offensive side. Yeah. I mean, you forget about, you know, you went from Jim McElwain to, you know, Mike Locks, well, Steve Sarkeesian for the, for the, you know, bowl game, then Mike Loxley. I mean, it it's great. Lane Kiffin. Yeah. Sarkeesian, Bill O'Brien last year. Now Bill O'Brien's gone and Tommy Reese is in. But all that turnover had never slowed Nick Saban down. And that's what's so amazing. I think it finally catches up to him this year. Uh, not knowing who the quarterback is. Look, you need every advantage you can get. Uh, in going into Tuscaloosa, we just, you just said it. There's only five teams who've beaten uh, Nick Saban since 2008. And four of them had either a Heisman trophy winner or won the national championship. And two of those teams, Auburn in 2010, LSU in 2019 had both, but I'm still going to, I'm going to, I'm going to love this Taylor. I'm, I'm losing my mind. I'm picking Texas to win at Alabama. I love it. How about you? Chip has like a, a beer bong of the burn orange Kool-Aid right now that he is just taking. I need <laughs> to spit some of it out. I'm starting to feel <laughs> Maylox moments coming on. Um, I mean, uh, this is the best, I would say, chance that they could have I, that I would be willing to say. It. I think careful you're gonna start drinking the kool-aid careful i know i know you sound like a homer 
I know, I know. And you know, I like it go out of my way not to, but uh, I think I'm going to leave it for the time being. It's hard for me to count out Nick Saban and that record speaks for itself. I mean, you know, they, Alabama had a quote unquote down year last year and 11 and two. Yeah. And beat, <laughs> so, the, beat the brakes off of Kansas state in the. Sugar. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just going to have to, I'm going to leave it. Um, and for Texas fans, I hope that I get proven wrong and I will be happy to eat that crow because um, I think Texas is talented enough to go toe to toe, but it, I, I've never been to, is it Bryant Denny stadium yep. there in Tuscaloosa? I've never been there. But it must be a pretty daunting place if that's the type of record that you can. Um, oh, it's at. it's insane. I went yeah. there uh, with our good friend Sean Adams for the Iron Bowl uh, in 2016. And their game day presentation is now what Texas is or it, Texas patterned its game day stuff after Alabama. Um, their, their game day atmosphere is outstanding. Obviously they've won so much that the fans are, uh, rabid. You have to, you have to quiet those fans. You have to get up early and quiet the fans or it just starts to feel like a steamroller, you know, getting more of your body under it with each play each quarter. So Texas and Steve Sarkeesian's great at scripting those first 15 plays and getting up early on teams. We know that. Yeah. So he's got to work on that second half script or someone like he, when he throws it out, somebody grab it and say, Oh, here's the second half script. Yeah. <laughs> Dark. Um, but yeah. Okay. You're leaving it. I'm loving it. Love yeah. it. Or leave it number two. All right. Second one, love it or leave it. If the sec adopts an eight game conference schedule with one annual opponent, instead of a nine game conference schedule with three annual opponent opponent, excuse me, it's a total failure. Yes. I love this. It's a total failure. Look, you're going into the SEC meetings at the end of the month with two options, the, the eight game schedule, one common opponent or the nine game schedule, three uh, annual opponents. What gives you better games? The three, six model, what protects rivalries? The three, six model, mm -hmm. Texas gets, Oklahoma, Arkansas, and Texas A&M under that 3-6 model. It only gets Oklahoma in the 1-7 model, which means they wouldn't play the Aggies every year. Yeah. They talk about each other in their fight song, yeah. the 100-year rivalry. I get that Nick Saban doesn't like the 3-6 model because he doesn't like his three projected opponents, which is Auburn, LSU, and Tennessee. Tennessee's gotten good all of a sudden. Meanwhile, Georgia has... Auburn, Florida, and Kentucky. So I get that Saban, who's six, what, 68, 69? I mean, he's up there. Yeah. And he's he getting grouchy. Yeah. He's getting cranky, Taylor. He's get off my lawn guy now. He's 71, actually. 71. He's cranky. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't, he's like, what is this three common opponents? And I got a harder group than Georgia. Blah. I just still say get ESPN, you know, and there's, that's the holdup ESPN. The SEC wants more money for that ninth game, that ninth conference game. Cause they only play eight conference games right now. And ESPN's like, Oh, come on, you're fine. And it's, I still think we'll end up three, six. Uh, I love this take Taylor. How about you? 
yeah, I, it's a total failure. I mean, how do you have 16 teams in a conference and have four non-conference games, right? Like that doesn't, it doesn't, I, and, I, I don't like that they have eight. I, it's been kind of BS that they've had eight all right, along. Right. Cause, Cause everyone else has gone to nine. Yeah. Like everyone has. So I haven't liked that model at all for the sec and you're going to add two more teams. Oh, and they just happen to have historic rivals or rivalries with some of the already established teams in the sec. Like it's a no brainer to make it a nine game conference schedule. And if they don't do it, I think they're failing fans they're failing teams they're failing college football so yeah i'm gonna yeah. love it you're it would be a total there you're going to a 12 team playoff in 2024 okay yeah the nine game conference schedule is harder but you're gonna have multiple loss teams getting into that 12 team playoff you can afford a loss maybe that you didn't think you could afford with a four team playoff get over yourselves let's get to that nine game conference schedule all right yeah. love it or leave it number three all right, final one for you. Love it or leave it. Texas baseball has a better chance winning the lottery than it does sweeping West Virginia and hoping Oklahoma State doesn't sweep Oklahoma this weekend. Well, I'll tell you, I might have I might have loved this going into the series, but after Texas beat uh, West Virginia 12 to 2 and all Dylan Campbell's got a 31 game home winning streak and Porter Brown hit three home runs. Porter Brown with those sexy model eyes that David Pierce says he's hypnotized by looking at him uh, in the dugout. And apparently Porter Brown was like an eye model. If you haven't seen what? this guy. Oh yeah. Port, go. You got to find video of him though, because okay. the team photo doesn't work. Google actually Google Porter Brown, because from what I understand, the first thing. Oh that yeah. Comes, oh yeah. The first thing <laughs> that comes up is, is eye model. Yeah, it is. Yeah. But Taylor, are you looking at him now? I am. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he so and I have basically, we have close to the same color eyes and that's very like green. He, yeah. But his are much better than mine. Like, yeah. hundred. Well, yeah. He's a black dude with like fluorescent green eyes. Yeah. Like he must be out with the ladies like <laughs> every night of the week. Sometimes I feel Sorry, like Jesus me. blesses other people a little bit more than others. And it's like, yeah, he got blessed with the, that yeah. for sure. <laughs> and if you don't think he was the hottest man on campus last night after hitting three home runs and eight RBIs in this win, this must win over West Virginia, please. He's got yeah. girls knocking on his car door, his apartment door, his bathroom <laughs> door. Um, all right. So. So Chip I'm has gonna, a man crush on, on the baseball team too. Oh yeah. <laughs> this, this guy's fantastic looking. <laughs> yeah. I, I admit my man crushes. Um, <laughs> so Taylor, I'm going to leave this because as of right now, I'm like talking myself into LeBaron Johnson Jr. Knowing Texas, they'll win the first two games and then lose the third game in a bleeping heartbreaker. But I'm going to leave this and go with the momentum of the moment. What about you? Yeah. I mean, I'm going to leave it. I mean, what are the odds to win the lottery? Those are pretty uh, okay, yeah. against those, you. Those <laughs> yeah. pretty. Uh, no, I mean, so full disclosure, we had a recording issue earlier in the, the week. So we put these together before the first West Virginia game and yeah. didn't come back to them since we did live. At least so. you're being... I'm being honest. That. I'm being upfront. So yeah, I agree. I think had it been before we saw the Thursday night game, I probably would have loved it. Um, but yeah, I'm going to leave it. I'm going to, 
I'm going to say that maybe they're catching fire at the right time of the season. All right. Good stuff. Good stuff, folks. Don't miss an episode of the flagship podcast. We keep football season alive year round right here on the Horns 24-7 YouTube channel. Make sure you're subscribed to that. And of course, in between flagship podcasts, we're over at Horns247.com. Make sure you're an annual member there because that gets you VIP access to all the team sites. Alabama's team site, K-State, TCU. Um, Gets you the VIP content, the stuff that only the the members are supposed to be reading. Um, But you can only get that as an annual member of uh, Horns 24-7. So make sure... You've got that taken care of. And uh, until next time, for Taylor Estes, I am Chip Brown. Stay safe and keep the faith. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.